0: Well, today we're gonna to be doing something a little bit different. You know, we've uh you know gotten to the point in the Brian Koberger case where there's not really much going on. But what we wanted to do is kind of go back, look at some of the things that were happening early on, like the press conference, kinda of listen to what they say, go along with what we know now. It's been a long time. Memory's kind of tricky. Well, let's go back and look at some of those things and
1: Yeah, let's see uh get a refresher of what came out in the beginning exactly
0: so let's go back to the uh, first press conference please hit that like and subscribe button, ring that notification bell. also if you guys can do us a favor if you talk to anybody about the case or anything like that like have friends that are interested in this share share our podcast with with them if you wouldn't mind we'd appreciate that we're trying to grow the channel and you know, reach and in, in increase our reach. So we'd appreciate that. But all right, let's go back, let's let's start this.
2: This incident has shaken our community, continued to shake our community, and we continue to mourn for the victim. We will continue to vigorously pursue the investigation and pursue justice in this case. It is a complex, terrible crime, and it will take some time to resolve. Today, we wanna to clarify what we know and where we're at in this investigation. Our primary goal is public safety and to get a completion of this case and bring someone to justice. We continue to dedicate all the resources to this investigation, We've had 646 tips received, and all will be processed, vetted, investigated, and cleared.
0: So 600 plus tips. This is just, I think, like two days after the uh, after the murders. So already they're coming in pretty quickly. Let's continue this. What do you think? Wait, hold on. What do you think, Blue? About 600 tips in in, in a matter of days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was it's a lot of tips, not of good information uh, or bad information, but I think at that time it was good information because there wasn't a lot of people like trolling this case after a while you know that's when they started getting all the false tips
0: right no i understand that but you know 600 tips in the first couple of days i wonder what those tips were like because none, obviously none of them panned out it, it took the igg to discover who brian koberger was i'm just kind of curious as to what kind of tips they were I, obviously I, I think there would probably be some that you know people at the corner club people at um, at the second kai party uh, those places where any where any of the the, the witnesses or the victims were uh, the grub truck you know I, I would assume some of those people would have tipped in saying hey i saw that person that night at yeah. this place you know what i mean but that's it's not i don't think that's 600
1: no so. maybe but uh, i think it would help them at least give them a timeline of where they were so that those tips do eventually help a little bit
0: yeah true story let's continue this
1: we've done over 90
2: interviews in this case so far, detectives are looking to develop any context, um, content that would um, help us in this event. Anyone who has observed any notable behavior or has any video surveillance or can provide relevant information about these murders, please call our tip line at 208-883-7180. Or you can email the tip line, at, and that is tip line at ci.moscow.id.us.
3: Good afternoon. My name is Roger Lanier. I'm a captain over the operations division for the Moscow Police Department. My last name is spelled L-A-N-I-E-R. I just want to first state that this tragic murder has shaken the community. It's been very hard for members of the community, and it's been equally difficult for our officers and for the investigators. We will continue to put all of our resources towards investigating and bringing this to a resolution.
0: So right there, he said that this was, you know, extremely difficult to the officers and stuff. You know, these are officers that are trained into seeing some of the, uh, you know, fatality accidents, some of the more gruesome scenes, you know, you have fatalities, whether they're accidental um, homicides. I know that there's been at least seven years since one had occurred there in uh, in Moscow. But there had been other where a person that lost lost her life, whether it was by their own hand or drowning or alcohol induced. You know, this scene was so gruesome that these guys and some of these guys that have had experience that have probably seen some more, you know, some of the more gruesome things in life. You know, it affected them, you know, and I hear things like. College students were in there cleaning it up, or you know, we're talking about this inside of that house and doing all this stuff. I, I don't see it. I, I don't connect the dots there. I don't see how not one of those college students that are supposedly there they don't freak out.
1: I mean, I think that they did freak out, man. I don't think that they that, that those stories are true because I mean, you can see that even to go to the court, they they um they didn't want to go. Bethany had to get subpoenaed. You know what I mean? They um I think they, they're they're traumatized by it by what they saw.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it, it was something so gruesome that it it, it affected these guys. If you go watch The Celebration of Life where Hunter Johnson, Ethan's best friend, goes up there and he has a speech, you can tell he's, he's, he's still very shooken up. You know, he saw the scene and he had he had a hard time just lifting up his head. He was looking down the entire time, shaking, you know, holding back his tears as much as he could. And, and this had been some time later. You know, if, if this was like some fraternity kids, you'd have to think that some of them were, you know, were Ethan's friends as well. Because, you know, that was what the rumor was, right, that Ethan got in a fight with somebody from his own fraternity or, or something like that yeah if some of these guys were from the fraternity they were from ethan's fraternity too not one of them like freaked out not one of them wanted to help Called nine one you know this guy or these people took out three three lives you know they weren't worried about somebody else talking you know i I think you'd probably find somebody else unalive
1: yeah i definitely think you know for them not to talk about it if it was like one of the theories that are that's out there in the internet that it was one of the fraternity people we got an argument with or fight with I mean, if it was that gruesome to the police, I'm pretty sure one of them would have talked. But I, mean, I don't know. I mean, look look at the, the defendant that's being charged. He's not talking. He's not saying a word. You know? So people can be strong.
0: But in this situation, I just feel that, you know, given how gruesome it was, I, highly, I find it highly unlikely a group of young people um, that all of them, 100% of them across the board were so callous to have seen you know, or have known about a situation and not contacted law enforcement. Not not freak out about it, not call their parents about it.
3: Here's what we've determined so far. On the evening of November 12th, Kaylee Gonzalez and Madison Wogan were at a local bar and were later at a food truck in downtown Moscow. They arrived home at approximately 1.45 a.m. on the morning of November 13th ethan chapin and zanna kernodal were at the sigma chi house before also arriving home at approximately 1 45 a.m two surviving roommates were also out in the community and they returned home at approximately 1 a.m and did not wake up until later that morning
4: all
0: right so first thing he said was that uh kaylee and zanna or kaylee and maddie i'm sorry they arrived at 145 we know that it was 156 later they changed that time In my opinion solely because the Gonzalez family was making a big you know thing about it saying no they didn't get home until 156. now the reason why you know you might you know hide or or keep certain details away from the public or maybe even go to to the extent of bending the truth is for the integrity of the case for instance the scott peterson case his claim is that he went out fishing and that while he was fishing that his wife lacey peterson was abducted. Police and media revealed where Scott Peterson claims he was that day. So after that, they found the remains of his wife and unborn son. Now, his argument is that because the media and because the police released that information, the real person that may have committed this crime may have dumped the bodies there knowing where his location was in efforts to frame him. So you you have to keep some of those things close to the vest, you know. And it's not going to be always because of something that severe in that type of situation, but that is one of them. Another thing is you do have people that will come in and take credit for crimes they didn't commit. John Benney Ramsey, I think, is one of the crimes that a lot of people have come forward saying that they had committed it, and they don't know the details of the crime correctly. And those details are the details that aren't in the public, aren't in the media. You know what I'm saying?
1: yeah yeah no they definitely have to keep part of it kind of hidden from the public so when they take the trial you know they have what actually happened they can recant with the defendant what happened uh yeah some of the details because there's, there's a lot of i think what they call a copycat no not copycat uh i can't remember what the person's called when they take credit. of credit of crimes yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a few of them. That's what I was saying. Like even in the in the JonBenet Ramsey case, there's been a few people who've yeah. come forward saying that they've committed that crime. You know, any high profile crime, you'll find people that have tried to take responsibility or credit for it. You have to keep some things quiet and public that only the killer and only law enforcement would know. That way, in case somebody did come and confess to this crime and said that this crime happened between 230 and 245, well, we know that Kaylee was calling Jack and, and texting and leaving voicemails when well, we know that she was alive after that. You can't say, oh, yeah, you know what? It, it happened earlier when you know and there's evidence that she was alive at a different time. And that's kind of why you keep that stuff a secret. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah.
3: On the morning of November 13th at 1158 a.m., a 911 call was placed to the Wicom Dispatch Center reporting an unconscious person. The call originated from inside the residence and was made from the phone of one of the surviving roommates. Moscow Police Department officers responded and located four victims, two on the second floor, two on the third floor. The Latow County coroners conducted autopsies and detectives have been provided with the results. Of those autopsies, we know that the autopsies confirmed the identity of the four victims, determined the cause and manner of death as homicide by stabbing, and determined that it was likely all four victims were asleep during the attack.
0: All right, so he's saying that it's it's likely that all four victims were asleep during the attack. Again, this is another example. If somebody were to come into that house or come into the police department and say that you know um, I, I I did this, well, how did you do it? You know I did you know did it with a knife. They were all asleep. They know that Zana wasn't asleep. Well, maybe. I think this was within the first week, so they may not have had the, the download information about Xana being up at four a.m. or even getting the DoorDash item at that time. So, yeah, they're
1: still piecing things together at this time. I think, is it the, two days ago, three days ago? Yeah, this yeah. was like
0: yeah, this was like within a week, I believe. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know you guys will let me know, you know, if you guys know, because this just says a year ago, it doesn't tell me what date is. I wish they would give me the exact date on YouTube. If they didn't know that yet, that tells me that they had evidence that would have made them think or lack there of evidence that would have made them think that somebody was awake. Makes sense. Yeah. And that's if they're being honest. You know, we Right now, what he said is that, that Dylan and Bethany went to sleep and they woke up later on that morning. It's not entirely inaccurate. You know, we we have to put everything in perspective, right, as to when this person came forward, when that person came forward, when they learned these things, because not everything is learned at the same time, right, or is up front. So I know that there is a DoorDash order that came in also, and that person turned themselves in and self-identified who they were, but we don't know when they did that. We know that that happened, obviously, prior to the arrest of Brian Koberger because he was on his probable cause affidavit, but we don't know, uh, like I said, is how much earlier before then
3: some of the victims had defensive wounds and each victim was stabbed multiple times all
0: right so he, he felt that they were asleep uh, during the crime had defensive wounds wounds and multiple times now defensive wounds doesn't necessarily mean like there was evidence of uh, of the victim hitting or striking or scratching sometimes it is but it's not always that sometimes it's putting your arms up and in that manner getting cuts on your on your forearms from trying to defend defend yourself, or on your hands, trying to defend yourself.
3: There was no sign of sexual assault. Investigators have determined two areas of interest within the city and have provided maps which are on our Facebook page and on our website. And these are areas that they have canvassed for additional surveillance video and tips and have contacted several residents in the areas. The areas are generally south of Taylor Avenue to Palouse River Drive and west of Highway 95. Detectives have also canvassed several other neighborhoods looking for evidence, looking for additional surveillance video, and contacting residents and speaking to them to see if they may have heard or seen something. I want to address several areas of speculation, conjecture, and uh, misinformation that circulated on social media platforms and other We do not believe the following individuals are involved in this crime. The two surviving roommates, a male seen at the grub truck food vendor downtown, specifically wearing a white hoodie.
0: So then this obviously came out after the grub truck video i wonder how much longer after the video it came out but it wasn't relatively long i think that video came out like days after after the incident because people had brought it up it was on a titch uh, on a twitch stream is that correct
1: yeah i want to say it was at least probably a week maybe i remember the sister is the one that that got the video from the from the well, group truck
0: owner it wasn't well the private rideshare guy is the one that disclosed that information to olivia that he had picked them up at the grub truck and that they have a stream going on there. So that's how they got you know, word of, of that video and, and how it got to you know, everybody so quickly.
3: A private party who provided rides home to Kaylee and Madison in the early morning hour of November 13th. Additionally, the identity of the 911 caller and the 911 call have not been released. So any information out there is speculation about that investigators are aware that multiple phone calls from madison and kaylee's phone were made to a male subject any online reports stating that the victims had been tied and gagged are not accurate
0: so at this point jack decor is not cleared because that's the person that kaylee was calling and texting and he didn't say that person's cleared right no he, he said that. they're aware of him correct yeah
3: detective sees the contents of three dumpsters on king road and searched those dumpsters in an effort to find additional evidence but nothing of note was discovered. Early in the investigation, local businesses were canvassed in an effort to see if any fixed blade type knives may have recently been purchased. And currently there are no suspects in custody and we have not located a weapon. I want to assure you that every investigator involved will continue to put all of their resources and all of our partner agencies resources into continuing this investigation. We do appreciate community support. We understand how stressful it is and we will continue to work through this situation. At this time, I would like to turn the mic over to Colonel Wills from the Idaho State Police. Thank you, Captain. My name is Kedrick Wills,
2: K-E-D-R-I-C-K-W-I-L-L-S, and I serve as a director of the Idaho State Police, and I appreciate your attendance. We know that people want answers. We want answers too. As was already mentioned, this is really, really difficult for those investigators, those dedicated professionals who are investigating this crime. And a lot of people have expressed their desire to help. And the best thing that most of the people can do to help is to stop with any kind of rumors. Anything that we have that we can share from a law enforcement perspective, we will be sharing just as soon as we can, because that's how we can, we think that we can get this to conclusion. We, these things take time. It takes time to work through. You heard the stats of all the, the tips and everything, the, the interviews and everything that's been done. This takes time for our investigators to work through. So please be patient as we work. And
0: this is important because everybody recalls that Washington State University located Brian Koberger's vehicle on uh, November 25th and turned it over by the 29th or something of that nature, right? And they took pictures of it on the 29th and reported that they had found it. And a lot of folks think that, well, it was reported on the 29th of November that that, that moment right there, they, they they turned that over to the investigating detective for the Moscow Police Department. And I think they also think that that was the only white elantra that they had gone out there and found brian coberger is the person who's gotten arrested and charged for this so you're not going to see the information of all the other people who the washington state police went out and, and and found all the other white elantras because those people weren't arrested they're not the ones that are being charged and arrested and in you know about to go to trial for a quadruple homicide it's brian coberger so all those people we don't know so that white elantra that they went and found on november 29th could have been one of many on that day that they found i mean think about it they discovered it you know november 25th and they didn't get out there till the 29th that kind of tells you that if they had you know if they were going through all those white elantras you know it took them that many days to get to it does that make sense to you blue
1: yeah, yeah. No, they, they, they had a lot of leads they had to follow and you know i'm pretty sure not all the um The help that they got were there right away in the first couple of days. It took a little time to get all the agencies together. So, you know, it takes time to cooperate together. Yeah, 100%.
0: And at this point, when law enforcement look at the vehicle or look at what they're looking at, obviously, when the FBI comes in and says that, hey, we think it's a 2011, 2013 Hyundai Elantra, they're going to focus on those vehicles. Prior to that, it was probably a focus of multiple vehicles, just white sedans. You know, we know from... Uh, different articles that they were looking at a 2019 Nissan Sentra very early on in the investigation. Then it was like a week or so later when they have concluded that it was a 2013 to a 2011, possibly, white Elantra. Well, up until that point, they're probably gathering all white four-door sedan Elantras. And that's probably what makes up the 22,000 white Elantras that are in the vicinity. And we also have to know what that vicinity is. I don't think it's just, you know, Moscow and Pullman. Uh, I don't. I don't think they have 40,000 people combined. Maybe they do. You know, to have 23 or 22,000 of them driving a white Elantra, that's, that doesn't make sense. So it's probably a, like a state, statewide and Washington statewide, those type of how many of those vehicles they are. I mean, they they even looked at the one in Eugene, Oregon, you know, based on the airmail article. They were looking a, a pretty good far distance away. So with that being said, just because they had his name and, and uh, car information on the 29th doesn't mean they were looking at him. On that day, through this investigation, we
2: owe this to these to these young kids, to these young um, adults. We owe it to them, and we are
0: absolutely dedicated to make sure that that happens. Thank you. I'm gonna fast forward this to where they get to the questions.
1: Yeah, I didn't even recognize until a little while ago. The prosecutors are there. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Bill Thompson's there. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. They're gonna be working. They're gonna be working real close with police department and FBI on this case.
2: So we're gonna open it up at this time to about eight two. Um, 10 questions. We ask that only one question is asked per person, please. Um, And I would also like to just see if there's an Argonaut reporter here. Um, I think it's only fair to give our student um, reporter
5: the first shot. Good afternoon. I'm Ted Williams, Fox News. Uh, You all have said that these uh, killings are targeted. Can you share with us why you believe they are targeted uh, killings? And uh, do you know who, if any of the victims, were the actual targets of the uh, killings?
2: Um, As we stated earlier in the previous press release, Uh, our press conference, we believe they're targeted um, because we take a totality of all the circumstances that we're looking at. Um, Do we know any one person that it was targeted? Um, We're not uh, uh, able to say at this point in time um, due to our investigation, but um, we still believe that. um, But we, like I said, we take a totality of everything that we're looking at.
0: The reason why I think they thought it was targeted was, you know, we gotta look at what they knew at the time. What they knew at the time was that Kaylee Gonzalez had been broken up with her boyfriend recently. They knew at the time that uh, her boyfriend was at the corner club with her that night. They knew at the time she was calling him at about three o'clock in the morning or up to about three in the morning. At that time, when you have the the gruesomeness of the crime, you have a knife being involved and there's no forced entry. You know, you're thinking, well, this guy might have access to the house. He's His boyfriend might have a key. So every indication probably at that point is pointing at that Jack DeCore, this was like some sort of domestic issue, family violence, right? Even the Marin came forward and said that, you know, this looked like some sort of crime of passion. I think that in the moment they may have said that this was a targeted event because they thought that based on on the information they had at the, at the time. But as you can see, they're already kind of walking that back, which means that it's, it's not what they initially thought it was. They probably got some evidence to indicate that.
5: Hi, Emma Eberle from the Spokesman Review. Um, I know you said you're not gonna release who the 911 caller was, but um, was the killer the 911
2: caller? I will tell you no. So what I'll I'll say to that is, um, it was made from the roommate's call, or phone, excuse me, um, and we're not gonna divulge who made that call um, to be um, part of our investigation still, and when we get ready to release that, we will.
5: Hi, Christina Corbin with Fox News. Um, the male subject whom the women called, um, has he been ruled out as a suspect or person of interest?
2: Everything that we have taken from the from those calls, um, we have followed up on, we've cleared, and, and we um, believe that uh, there's no connection there. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, just following up on the, the 911 call, you said that you don't believe that's a killer. Uh, can you conclusively rule out the person that called 911 from inside the home as a suspect in this case? Can you go ahead and just ask that one more time, please? The person that was inside the home that called 911 uh, that was not one of the roommates, can you conclusively rule that person out as a suspect at this point? I don't think I said that it wasn't one of the roommates. I said that uh, it was used with the um, roommates' phone. No, that's correct. So, will you clarify that for me?
5: You're not, you're not a roommate there was other
2: friends that had arrived um, at the location. How many? Honestly, I'm not quite sure at this time. To be quite honest.
5: Do you guys have any idea if the killer is still within the community or are you looking outside the community for the killer in terms of their physical location? We
2: are looking everywhere that evidence would lead us. Um, I can't say if the person's here. I can't say what community the person's in. Uh, we're utilizing every resource we can to uh, make that location of that individual. Um, and part of that is the safety of our community is paramount. And that's why we brought in the resources that we brought in to keep uh, our community as safe as we can. I cannot comment on that. I, I'm not even aware. We're looking everywhere. I'm going to take two more questions.
5: Do you still believe this was this was this attack was done by one perpetrator? And if so, how does one individual kill four people at night and not wake up the other two roommates?
2: Our um, investigation will continue to look at all avenues of that investigation. Um, I cannot disclose um, any of that information. I don't even know that information at this point in time, and that's why we're continuing to investigate. You don't
5: know about you, but it
2: or up we do not. One more question.
5: Hi, uh, Angela Palermo, Idaho Statesman. Um, In the press release yesterday, you confirmed that the victims were found on the second and third floors of the home. Can you say which of the victims were found where?
2: Um, I'm not gonna go ahead and disclose that information. They were found on the second and third floor. And um, that's as far as we're gonna go with that part of the investigation too, because all those key pieces um, do come to play later. So we do thank you. Um, We thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for um, helping get information out. And I can assure you, we will continue um, to work hard. We will continue to do everything we can to solve this. So thank you.
0: all right so you know kind of listen back to some things and at this press conference there's nothing that he said that wasn't inaccurate in my opinion you know especially what they knew at the time i'm going to answer some few questions and then we'll go back into the second part uh, or the second conference that they had i think it was actually the first one all right other dna wasn't looked into or the other 400 interviews that's not accurate with all the fbi on this case i have a homicide detectives in my family as well as da Awesome. The other DNA, they they were turned into to the state lab. It was submitted into CODIS and came back. uh, Nobody, not a match to anybody, including the the person whose DNA was on the sheath. That's the first thing. The second thing is when were those DNAs found? Right. The first one was outside in a glove uh, that was found on like a week or so after the murders with so many people that were out there. So many people that were visiting, whether they were news, TikTok, YouTubers, police department. You know, officials, there were so many people out there a week later, you find a glove, you know, especially during wintertime. If you think it's uncommon in Idaho for people to be wearing gloves and one to be falling outside there, I don't know know what to tell you. And the thing in in the second two um, DNA samples, I find it interesting how vague those descriptions were. You know, Ann Taylor came in saying that the one outside was outside inside of a glove and what day it was found. But the other two DNAs were just in the area where two of the bodies were, like somewhere in the area. Given how descriptive she was about the first one, if those if that DNA was found on the bodies, I'm pretty sure she would have put that there or on the bed or anywhere within five feet. So the fact that she's putting it as vague as she is tells me that that's as close as she can describe without lying. Right. She can't say it was within arm's reach or it was within reaching distance, any of those type of things. And and then the second part of that was the 400 interviews. What she had said is that there are still 400 interviews that they have to go and talk to 400 witnesses. I I have another video. We'll probably watch it next time in its entirety. But it's a video uh, of Chief Fry talking about what happened after Brian Koberger's arrest. And he states in this video that after Brian Koberger's name uh, was released and his arrest had occurred, they had over 400 calls come in with information about Brian Koberger and his past. So immediately, people were coming in talking about red flags about this guy. Also, that's interviews that Ann Taylor hasn't done, not interviews that law enforcement hasn't done. That's the other aspect. Ann Taylor hasn't gotten to the 400 interviews, and those that they have gotten to won't talk to them. Apparently, they're closing the door on them. Why does a PC state sub uh, suspect vehicle want? It, it depends on the officer. I, I've seen officers do that, whether or not there's one vehicle or two vehicles or three. It's just identifying the vehicle. That's basically it. You know, I, I understand why, you know, some people would assume that it would say just, you know, suspect vehicle was seen this way, that way. Why put the one there? I don't know. I mean, I would. you'd have to go look at his previous reports and see if that was something that was a commonality. Kind of like in, in Pennsylvania where they say, you know, the body cam, uh, they didn't have one when he was arrested. Well, Albrightsville, Pennsylvania Police Department, they don't have body cams there. So it's not something that was uncommon. I had a lot of people tell me, oh, they had body cam footage of Kaylee and the loud noise complaints. Surely they would have it of of him being arrested. I don't disagree with you. However, he wasn't arrested in Moscow. He was arrested in Pennsylvania where they didn't have body cams. And we we found the New York Post where they found that out.
1: On the suspect, vehicle one, I think there could be also like... um just an acronym, you know, like they probably could have had suspect vehicle two or possibly suspect vehicle two, and it could have been the DoorDash driver's car, you know. Like it just varies on the way they document their stuff.
0: That's true. That's true. It could have been, you're absolutely right. It could have been very early on, uh, when they identified it as suspect vehicle one. And then it goes back to the comp you know, the the copy and paste component and when they put it like that. Why no body cam of either? very suspicious to me. Nobody came of either of what there's no body cam of his arrest because they don't have body cams. It's not uncommon. I I understand that might be suspicious in Los Angeles or, or Dallas or San Antonio or one of these metropolitan areas, but in a small, you know, woodsy town in the mountains of the Poconos, not so much. I mean, those things are usually typically paid by either taxpayers and or grants. Those grants are typically given to the bigger departments, and you usually don't have very many taxpayers if the community is small. You know, funding becomes an issue, so not every officer ends up with one. Now, who was out there? You had the police department from the local area, and you had the FBI. I've never seen an
1: FBI body cam. Have you, Blue? Not that I know. I'm pretty sure they have something to to document, and I'm pretty sure the police cars might have had a camera, but... I don't think they have to release it yeah. um, unless the, you know, the, uh, process, the defense reco- request
0: it. Yeah. Uh, let's continue this. Agencies that are involved in this task force include the County
2: Sheriff's Office, the Idaho State Police, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations. As we continue our investigation, we have learned that Ethan and Zanna were at a party on campus, and Madison and Kaylee were at a downtown bar. They arrived home sometime after 1.45. If anyone in our community or across our nation has any information about these times, or the victim's whereabouts, please call our tip line at 208-883-7180. The facts of the case that we know right now. We know that these homicides occurred in the early morning hours of Sunday, November 13th. Around noon, Moscow officers received a call of an unconscious person. Officers discovered the bodies of Ethan Chapin, Zanakarnodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Goncaves inside the residence on King Road. The four were stabbed with a knife, but no weapon has been located at this time. There was no sign of forced entry into the residence, Investigators are continuing to collect evidence at the scene. Investigators are working to develop a timeline to relevant events. Autopsies are taking place today on all the victims so we can continue to gather evidence and solve the crime. Investigators are working to follow up on all leads and to identify a person of interest. Based on details at the scene, we believe this was an isolated targeted attack on our victims. We do not have a suspect at this time and that individual is still out there. We cannot say that there is no threat to the community, and as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity,
0: and be aware of your surroundings at all times. So he said, we cannot say that there is no threat to the community. So whatever thoughts they were having beforehand uh, completely have been cleared or exhausted. I think this was uh, they had cleared the boyfriend, uh, Jack Decor. Uh, I think the gag is to protect protect witnesses, right? Uh, the gag order is to protect the integrity of the case and to make sure that he doesn't get a, uh, you know, uh, an unfair ju- jury. What we do know, or what we don't know, excuse me, the identity and
2: location of the suspect, the location of the knife or any clothing that was worn by the suspect. Currently, we have 25-plus investigators working this case, as well as assistance from the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Idaho State Police. We're reviewing video that has been collected, but we are asking citizens to contact us with any information you may have that will help in this investigation. Once again, we're asking anyone with a tip to call the tip line at 208-883-7180. At this time, I would like to introduce the University of Idaho President
0: Scott Green. I'm gonna fast forward through this. He's not talking much about the case. He's just talking about the school. Janice comes in saying, "The gag. Didn't they take two police officers off the re-sticker case? I read they took off the case. Now I think you're. I think what you're trying to say was that there was two officers that were involved in the sticker gate thing. Yeah, there was." Uh, but those officers really didn't have anything to do with this case. I think they were one of the first responding officers to the scene. Uh, they, I think that was about it. Uh, it was clearly taken over by detectives. Their involvement, I think, was responding. And then I think they helped with tip lines and witnesses. It was the FBI that conducted the cast evidence. It was the FBI that finished the IGG and pointed to Brian Koberger. It was the FBI that picked up Brian Koberger's dad's trash out of Brian Koberger's family's trash bin. And it was the FBI who ended up, you know, basically serving Brian Koberger on a platter uh, to the Idaho prosecutor and state pol- and police there. Now, I know that there may be some things that people question from the Idaho state police, but you have to ask yourself, what is the involvement of those officers that have these questions? Were they really directly involved or not? And to be frank, those Idaho state police officers really don't. I think one of them, Tolman, was at a uh, an autopsy. You know, I, I've seen a lot of law enforcement officers at many autopsies, especially if they're um, younger and newer, haven't been there for more than a few years, and they haven't been to one because there hasn't been a homicide in so long. You know, I can see them sending an officer who hasn't been there and detective to go and watch. I've seen it happen multiple times. It'd be different if the person that was in question was the person conducting the autopsy. Now, if the person conducting the autopsy had some sort of shady past or history, then I think at that point is when you need to be concerned. But when it comes to these guys, you have to ask yourself, what, what is it that they could have done in the case with their limited amount of involvement in the case? You know They were the first responders. You know, a lot of people say, well, that gives them the opportunity to plant the sheath and or, or the knife or the DNA. They would have been just wandering around with Brian Koberger's DNA with them to, to wipe it on the sheath just in case. Law enforcement was out there for four days and they couldn't get Brian Koberger's DNA. If Brian Koberger is innocent, as many as many people say he is, and then the fact that he was wearing gloves and cleaning baskets and and wiping things down was not something that happened because of the murders. Thus, it probably didn't happen when the murders happened. It was probably something that was happening before the murders, if he's innocent, that is. Which means where what did he touch that he didn't have gloves on that was accessible to everybody else that he didn't wipe down and clean? that somehow found its way on the sheath of a person who somehow just so happens to drive the same vehicle as his, also without a front license plate, who's also out and about the same time that he is and commits this crime at the same time that he has his phone off. I mean, the chances of all those things happening have to be astronomical. When they tested his DNA, I think he came back five points, something octillion, chances it was him or somebody else. I think those chances are better than the other stuff happening all at the same time. What do
1: you think, Blue? Yeah, that's, t- that's too many coincidences. That somebody would, else, somebody else would be, you know, driving around that time. That the DNA matched to him. You can say, well, if the DNA matched to him, it could have been somebody in his family. And that's they were. They had, probably did look into the records to see where everybody else was. He was the only one in the proximity.
0: Here's the thing: we know, and everybody can point at the IGG and say, oh, you know, it was, it was done illegal, whatever. You can pick up trash, people discard. It's 100 percent legal. And this is why. You know, in that one paper where it says that even if the IgG is thrown out or whatever the case may be, the DNA falls on itself and you don't need to use that as a warrant. Well, that's because no matter what, that DNA pickup is legal. Now, just that DNA pickup alone points to the person being the son of Michael Kohlberger. To anybody's knowledge and everybody's knowledge and, uh, is Brian Kohlberger the only son of Michael Kohlberger. So just that alone would give you the warrants for his phone pings would give you the warrants for his locations, would give you a warrant for his DNA on his on his cheek, the whole nine yards, which is why the IGG argument is futile, which is why, you know, everything in this case just kind of seems to be going in a big circle. Like with the grand jury argument, the prosecution and judge said, even if you take this Idaho State Supreme Court and you win, the only thing that the defense has to do is file this certain thing. I can't remember what he called it. And you're back at square one. And so you just want to do a full circle. And the only thing that's going to happen is just waste time. And as we can see,
1: it kind of seems like a pattern here, of wasting time. Pretty much what they want to do is just waste time to push the trial further and further back.
0: I mean, that's that's what I see. I, I connect dots. I connect patterns. And those are the dots. And those are the patterns.
1: And I think one, one reason why they're trying to do that is... Uh... I guess their theory is that they push it back far enough. People will forget. People will forget the the highlights of the case. Oh, dude, and- people
0: people forget it in short term. I mean, when somebody yeah. says that he was framed, or somebody says, "Oh man, Brian Koberger could have could have shook in the hands of somebody, and that person could have touched the doorknob, and that person could have you know then you know came in contact with the real killer." And they don't think about, or they forget about the fact that that person also had a car similar to his, and that yeah. person also was the same build and same height. Now, that person also was out and about during that spoil crazy hour of like three to five in the morning in a mountain in in, in a Idaho town where it's 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 an icy place in November, freezing temperatures outside. What are the chances? I mean, you know, you the, the short term memory there is they forget about all that. They forget about also the fact that there was a receipt that was found by law enforcement for a K bar knife that Brian Koberger purchased in April of
1: twenty twenty two that just so happened to can't be found. No, there's too so many coincidences I think uh, but I think that's why the, the defense is trying to push it back as far back. So people can forget they're trying to get him a, a, a trial where, you know, people don't know all the facts and they want to reeducate them to the facts yeah. that he's innocent or not guilty, which I get. Because that's what every defense lawyer should do for their client. Right. Know?
0: Well, I mean, her job right now is to defend him in the best way possible, but also to save his life. And they're going to, if they feel that going to court very quickly is something that's going to, you know, not save his life, then, yeah, they're going to pull everything to do that.
1: But maybe they're they're pushing back. They're pushing back. Maybe they're trying to see. Maybe he wants a deal. I always said that he, he might give up a deal. I what if know, they, they say no DP and he provides the murder weapon?
0: I don't think they need that. And, yeah, you know, I have people ask me all the time, do you know things that we don't know? The answer is yes, I do. I know a lot of people in a lot of places. I have, I have sources from, you know, law enforcement in almost every state, including in a very close area to this, I've also talked to not just one, but several of family members of the victims and not just for one family. With that being said, I do know some things. I've heard some things. I can't prove some things are true or not, but I I believe in the sources in which they, you know, I got them from. Outside of all those things, which those things will come out in trial, what you have here makes it very difficult for it not to be him.
1: And he's right. He he doesn't deserve a deal, but how many options in other cases have they done deals behind everybody's back to get the information to, to make sure that the conviction goes through? Yeah, what and I agree with that. Life is life in life in prison without parole for consecutive counts. And, and what if that's,
0: that's the only? What if that's the only deal? Right, life without parole. You know, it, it, if you're Brian Koberger, uh, or if you're a person, let's just take Brian Koberger out of this. If you're a person that's going to jail for the rest of their life, and you're only 28 years old, I think the death penalty is a as an easy way out.
1: Oh yeah. Cause if he did life without parole, he's still at the hundred years.
0: Right, exactly. And so, you know, he can go through appeals and do all these things. I think that if that was the deal, life without parole, he's probably not going to take it. I mean, they, 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 haven't really now granted this, this crime is very heinous, but uh, from what I understand is, you know, sending people to the, uh, giving people the death penalty there. And, uh, in Idaho, isn't as common as most people would think. You know what I mean? Now let's, let's watch this. So, at this time, um, I'm going to open it up
2: to some questions um, that I'm sure you have, and we'll do the best we can to uh, answer those for you.
5: Hello, Chief you cool. for us. Um, this is Amanda, I'm Amanda Rolly with Crime 2 News. Uh, you mentioned that there's uh, an indication that it's an isolated, targeted incident, and there is an individual somewhere. Can you give us a reason as to why there's that belief there is a suspect? And can you also uh, give a little more information on the fourth century? There's no sign of fourth century, but was the door, did it seem like any of the entries were left unlocked?
2: I'll answer the last part there, just because it's at the front end of my mind. We're not 100% sure if the door was unlocked. There was no damage to anything, and the door was still open.
0: It was damaged to, there was no damage to anything, and the door was still open. Says the exclusive Moscow police chief admitted he did not know the front door to the house where the four university of students were murdered was left open for hours. I'm not sure where that came from. I think that the the biggest clue here or the biggest difference is he said the door was left open. He, he He didn't state which one. And if it was a sliding door or the front door here, they were specifying the front door. And he says he's not aware of that. I feel and I think and I believe and based on the information that I've been told as well, that he did come in through the back door, the sliding glass door. He left it open and that it was open the entire time, not the front door.
1: Yeah, I think if um, I still have the theory that he heard somebody yell for them to be quiet. Right. And... Well, no,
0: no. This is this is referencing. Uh, are you are talking about the glass door in the back?
1: Yeah, the glass door in the back.
0: All right. Well, carry on. I, I know what you're going there. I'm sorry. Carry
1: on. No, no I think, And I, I think he rushed out and left it open. I mean, why would you spend time to try to close it, make more noise, and then potentially have the police come? You know?
0: Right, and the thing is too, from what I understand, and I think there's gotta be some sort of evidence for this, whether you know, there's no smudging on the back end of this, uh, of the door, which you would indicate where somebody would have closed it, even if they're wearing gloves, you would have seen smudging when other people have touched it and their oils in there. From my understanding is that the door, the glass sliding door was opened once and never closed again. He opened it, whoever did this, and walked in and then went upstairs. And when they left, they left the same way, never touching the door. And from what I understand, it's because this person was was trying to not leave DNA behind. So the less times you touch an item, the less likely you're going to leave your DNA behind. You know, I, I heard that. I got that. And then I look at the PCA and I see, you know, this huge trip that Brian Koberger made to go all the way around to spend an hour out of his way to get back to Pullman. You know, I had I had to think, why would you do that? And then I thought, well, police are probably checking the cameras into Pullman from probably about four twenty to about five o'clock. And, you know, expecting that if somebody committed this crime and they lived in Pullman or had to drive through Pullman to get home or their destination, that they would have driven directly through there. And since he didn't, and he went this long way around, he comes in after police would have already given up looking at or looking for a white Elantras coming into Pullman. You know, if he he thought about that and was willing to go to that extent, leaving the back door open without touching it, things like that, tells me this is very well meticulously planned. And, you know, if he didn't leave the knife sheath there, like I've said before, I think that it'd be a bit before they find out who he was. Now, I know a lot of people say, you know, leaving the knife sheath is suspicious. You know, you would have noticed it when he left the house. Uh, BTK, he had experience. He had committed multiple crimes by the time. He left his gun at one of them. You know, he went in. The gun was a big part of the crime and he left without it. Uh, he went back, found it, got it before anybody came and noticed. But he had left the scene completely and had to go back. I, I get it. You know, people say, oh, you know, how, how could you forget it? You know, it's, it's a dumb mistake. It is a dumb mistake. There's a lot of mistakes that were made. Just look at the way the guy was driving on that Linda Lane footage and from the probable cause affidavit. After four o'clock, after that door, do- door dash item is received, whoever's driving that white car is driving kind of stupid they're starting to make mistakes
1: yeah i mean especially if you have a potential murder weapon in your car you don't want to be driving like like a maniac and get pulled over by the dwi team you know even though by that time they'll probably be home but
0: yeah and 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 the other thing is too like if, if he was so meticulously like planning this right he planned this down to a t you know why are we so surprised that he couldn't have prepared his car his vehicle to limit the amount of DNA exposure or blood exposure it could have had. He could have taken off his clothing if he wore a uh, protective gear. Uh, There's a a case, I think it's called uh, Chris Porco. He drove three hours. to take the life of his parents. He He stood over his dad and struck him in the head with an ax, taking his life. Did the same to his mom. However, she didn't die. Now, blood splattered everywhere. There was no evidence of anybody changing or taking a shower or any of those things, no forced entry. And he drove back three hours back to his college dorm. They didn't find any blood in his, in his Jeep. You know, the reason why they believe that there wasn't DNA of of blood or any of those things from his parents inside his Jeep was because he, he was, he worked in a, in a veterinarian office and they did, um, they did surgeries on animals. And he was part of their team where he would wear protective gear for surgery to eliminate getting blood and, and things of that nature on, on his person. He used one of those. Brian Koberger, is trained on how to not leave your DNA behind at a scene, and how not to take a scene with you. It's in forensics. You know, he took those classes up into sales. We've looked at the course study that he had to take. It's in there. It's all there. It's public record for you to go check. We put videos on it, so if you haven't seen it, uh, just go scroll through back. You know, if he was wearing some sort of protective gear, or coveralls that were easily able to take off, and he had pre- and he had prepared his vehicle beforehand because he knew he was going to commit this crime. And we see how much planning he went into after the crime, right? To drive around in the manner that he did and things like that. Why are we surprised that seven weeks later, there's no DNA in the car? We are easy, some people are easily to believe that Dylan and Bethany cleaned an entire house in eight hours. You know what I mean, Blue? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, just throwing that out there, food for thought.
5: My first question yeah. if
0: you'd like me to read. no I, I think I, I think I haven't um in these
2: cases we take the totality of the things that we see and they're, and they're very dynamic right and they're very big and there's a lot of information and we try to take that information and some of what we can't share with you correct um, but we try to take that information we try to make the best educated decision we can we uh, review that as a team with our um, detectives along with our prosecutors along with the university and we try to make that best um, decision on that so we um, at, at that time believed that um you know there was no uh a threat and our, our goal is to provide safety for this community we are that's why we're bringing in the resources we're bringing we want it close to this and we want to do everything we can to um but the people in our community know that we care we want um, them to feel safe we want them to be safe and uh, we're going to do everything we can to do that
5: I one more question um you asked for videos to, or anything from the community to help put together that timeline uh we obtained a copy of Twitch video and family members of the consul family were able to identify uh maddie and kaylee in those videos at a food truck ordering food, is the police department, our investigators aware of that video and, and has it helped put together that timeline?
2: We are aware of that video and it has helped. It gives us um, a time and space where uh, we know that um, two of our victims were and that helps us a ton and we'll continue to follow up all leads that we can and um, continue to gather those.
5: Any indication of a party at the home that night?
2: Um, I'll, I'll, this will be the last one, okay, I understand. Um, not that we know of, not at the home. Um, we know that the other, um, we get the names exactly right here. We know that um, Zaina and um, Ethan were at a different party on campus. But, but that timeline will still help us if other people know that, about that. Chief Wright, John Webb with KHQ. Um, on September 12th, uh, there was a vandal alert that was sent out about a potential stabbing threat on Paradise Path. Does this have any connection with what we've seen so far? Not that we know of it, but we we'll are following up every lead. Every piece of information we get, we are following up to ensure that um, nothing has gone
0: unturned. We won't... Hey, Blue, don't you think that what he just said about a potential stabbing that had occurred and investigated, don't you think that person would be a better fall guy than Brian Koberger?
1: Yeah, because of the crime that he committed.
0: Right. You know, and this just goes to to say that, that even early on, there were other people that probably um, would have fit the crime better if you just looked at it from, uh, you know, records. I mean, Brian Koberger didn't have one. He was a Ph.D. student in criminology. You look at this situation where there's a guy that was threatening people with a knife. You had another guy couple of days after the murders, or a couple of weeks or, or a week or so, he, he attempted to stab his wife and he stabbed himself. He ended up getting arrested. He had cuts on his arms and things like that. And he lived about four or five blocks away from where the 1122 King Road residence was. You know, he's a better fall guy, in my opinion. Then you also have Brent Kopaka, who was taken out by, by SWAT. Now, there's a big question mark there, whether or not SWAT did the right thing, if it was legal, not legal, this, that. But let's just say if it wasn't and they did it wrong, because... Obviously, law enforcement does everything wrong. You can't get out of that. Wouldn't you think that you would pin the Moscow case on that one guy? That way, if you, whatever you did do wrong is getting shadowed by that instead. Yeah, Just what I'm thinking.
1: If you're trying to commit something where like you throw the blame on a, uh if you're trying to frame somebody, that would be more the ideal person. But they probably had a strong alibi. If okay. They, if you would have to.
0: The thing for me then, and, and I get what you're saying there, You know, maybe they had a strong alibi. They know where they were. And and Brian Koberger, he didn't have an alibi. How does Moscow Police Department know what that Brian Koberger was just driving around that night with his phone off? How do they come up with that information to say he doesn't have an alibi to prove that it was him? It doesn't make sense. Now, if they if there's DNA, his DNA is on the on the sheath and it was planted there, though that had to be planted pretty pretty early on in the investigation, don't you think? Because out of the state forensics, there's pictures of them. Well, the ones that collected that that piece of uh, evidence and sent it to to Boise. So it wasn't in in Moscow. And they're the ones that found the DNA profile and created the STR profile, which was then sent to Othram so that they could do a uh, IgG genetic tree to try to figure out a potential person of interest. And as they were doing that at the same time, they were doing their investigations. Once their investigation was exhausted, the FBI was then due to, you know, because of their policy was then able to get involved and they concluded the IgG. Continue this. ...want to have... Um, the individual identified,
2: um, who is the suspect of this eventually. Um, so we are literally looking into every aspect of everything. The guys have said repeatedly that there's no threat to the public, but we don't know who the suspect is. We don't know where he's at. How is there no threat to the public? All right,
0: hold on. Somebody said something about his internship. How do you know he applied and refused to answer if he got the internship? Well, we know that he applied, uh, I would assume twice, you know, there was a, a deal there in the spring, uh, in April which just so happened to be the time that he purchased the K-Bar knife. You know, coincidence there. You know, there was a leaked email that it was between Chief Jenkins of Pullman. You know, that's the other thing, right? You know, where did they get Brian Koberger as a suspect? Everybody says, oh, you know, they got it. They got his name from when he applied. He didn't apply for, for Moscow. He applied for Pullman Police Department. So there's another big wrench into that theory. Well, anyways, you know, he applied in April. And there was this whole email thing that was sent out where he said, you know, it was a pleasure meeting with you. And then, you know. Gary said back, pleasure meeting with you, too, blah, 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 right? Then we find out from the probable cause affidavit that he applied again in the fall. So he applied in the spring, and then he applied in the fall, in which where he submitted an essay, and, you know, they've come out and said that he was not given the position in the fall either. So he he had applied twice, and two times was denied. And again, it was for Pullman Police Department, not Moscow.
2: Well, that's kind of an unknown like I said we took the information that we had at the time um, but we do need to be aware the individual is still out there right uh, we need to be vigilant we need to uh, watch out for our neighbors we're a community policing um, community we've said that um, for years and it's a community that watches out for each other we need to continue to do that until we can um, close this off and make an arrest. Why has there been such limited information over the past couple of days? I mean, we're almost four days into this. Why has it been so limited? Yeah, it's a difficult, um, we have a lot of information coming in and you know we have uh, tried to push out some information through press releases, um, but the reality is um, I probably should have been standing here a day or so ago, but I'm here now we're going to continue to be here We're going to continue to give you the information we can um, we care about this community. I care about this community I've worked here for 27 years. I want this community to be the safest community around so The mayor's called it a crime passion. Is there any indication that that's true? Uh, we're looking into every aspect of this um, I'm not going to stipulate whether it's uh, one thing or another. We're going to continue to investigate and through evidence. We'll get that so okay last well, question
0: I could, Chief. Um, have, have we
2: looked at any boyfriends or any ex-boyfriends, any spouses, as a potential suspect? I will tell you, we are looking at everyone. Um, we are every tip we get, every lead we get. There's no one that we're not going to talk to. There's no one we're not going to interview. There's no one that we're not going to look into. Um, and we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to make sure that uh, nothing goes unturned and that we um, do everything we can with the assistance of all the resources we have to um, get a final answer.
5: So there were, oh, sorry, I'm at Everly with this book's review. hi. hi. Um, so there were other uh, roommates who lived at that, uh, that residence. Um, were the roommates home at the time of the attack?
2: Uh, there was um, there was other people home at that time, but we are not just focusing just on them. We're focusing on everybody that um, may be coming and going from that residence.
5: So since they were home, was it a hostage situation? No, it was not. Um, and then did um, they didn't call it into police, so were they um, injured?
2: They were not injured, um, but like I said, we're still following up with everybody that um, could have been in that area.
5: And how can you say it's a uh, targeted attack if um, you don't have a suspect?
2: Like I said, we take the totality of the situation. We try to make the best um, bit of information we can with everything that comes in. And then we make our decision off of that. So at this time, I'm not going to expand upon that. Um, but like I've said, we do have a suspect out somewhere and we are looking for that individual to uh, solve this bit of information. We came with everything that comes in.
5: just want to clarify something you said earlier.
0: He said that there's a suspect out there and they're trying to figure out who it is. Doesn't necessarily say that they know who the suspect is, just that there's somebody out there. It's kind of like in the Richard Allen case where Indiana State Police came out and said, you know, there's uh, we know who you are, we're trying to figure this out, you know, just, you know, you're in the area, all nine yards, you might be in this room watching. All these things that indicated that they wanted to, or they were hoping to get across to the uh, the person that committed the crimes, is that they may have made a mistake. Make them nervous. Make them, you know, go back to the scene. Make them do something that that, uh, that gives away who they were. These are all tactics that are done in efforts to make person nervous and to make a mistake.
5: Over the past couple of days, the information that we've been getting is there's not a threat to the public and earlier I heard you say you can't be sure that there is no threat I just want to clarify what um, your stance is on that at this time
2: so we we did believe we still believe it's a targeted attack but the reality is is there's still a a person out there who committed four horrible horrible crimes so I think we got to go back to um, there is a a threat out there still possibly we don't know we don't believe it's going to be to anybody else but we all have to be um, aware of our surroundings and make sure that we're watching out for each other
5: Okay. And then one other follow-up. I know you said when the call came in, it was for an unconscious person, and also that was a stabbing. It seems, just from an outside perspective looking in, like that would be um, not the first thing a a person calling in would think.
2: You're right. Um, But the report that we got was that it was an unconscious individual. It wasn't until our officers arrived on scene, uh, went in to do a caregiving check on the individual who was unconscious that we um, found the scene that we found.
5: Okay. Thank you. Hi, Heather Roberts with ABC News. Just a follow up on what she asked. So the other two roommates were there at the time of the attack?
2: All the information that we have from our investigation is that yes, they were.
5: Okay. But they were unhurt. That is correct. So, is there any explanation as to why it took so long then for someone to call 911? You have surviving witnesses to an incident at three or four in the morning and the 911 call didn't come until
2: noon? I don't think I ever said that they were witnesses. I said they were there. Um, so, you know, we don't know why that call came in at noon and not um, in the middle of the night. Would have we love for that to have happened? Yes. But that, that's not how it took place. So, uh, we're, that's why we're investigating everything still to try to pull all the pieces together.
5: Were they one of the people, were they the 911 caller?
2: Um, At this point in time, Um, i'm not going to divulge who our 911 caller is um, just because i want to keep the um, integrity of the investigation at this point okay
5: okay and last question are you able to tell whether the same weapon was
4: used on all four victims
2: you know that's why we're having the autopsies then the autopsy will confirm that and hopefully collect um, some evidence for us um, even from from those that's what you do um, the autopsies is to try to be thorough and try to gather more so um we'll leave that 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 would probably be something that would come out later excuse me derek shug fox news fox digital Uh, was there anything missing in the home or were the person still there Any robbery attempt, anything like that? Nothing that uh, we have identified. And I'm gonna take about two more questions, all right?
4: Hi, I'm Tim with uh, Daily Evergreen. I was just wondering, um, were the two other individuals present at the home when police responded at noon?
2: Yes. Uh, Chief, if you don't mind elaborating a bit more on those, those two people. Was it two people? Um, what have those people shared about the circumstances of that night, what they saw or didn't see? Well, I'm not going to um, go into what they shared um, that night. Obviously, that's part of our investigation. That's part of the information that we're trying to um, build our complete story with. So um, at that, as far as that goes, we're not going to go any further into um, what, they, what they know and what they don't know.
0: Well, he didn't say they slept through it. He says that he's not going to talk about. What information they shared about that night? I don't know. I thought he said they slept through it. Everybody keeps telling me that Chief Fry said they slept through it. Maybe he did I didn't read it or I didn't see it. In these two press conferences thus far, I haven't heard him say they slept through it.
2: Didn't see? Well, I'm not going to um, go into what they shared um, that night. Obviously, that's part of our investigation. That's part of the information that we're trying to um, build our complete story with. So um, at that, as far as that goes, we're not going to go any further into um, what they what they know and what they don't know.
4: How many, how many were
2: there? Um, we believe two. You into and do you uh, we understand that one may have had uh, an account linked to um, her uh, Instagram account? Uh, have you looked into those accounts? Have you seen any sort of threats made to any of the individuals? So we are looking at all um, resources. You know, we got, like I said, the Bureau of Investigation helping us. We got our detectives, our forensic detectives looking into that. We're trying to pull this whole picture. We're looking at everything that we can look at, social media, et cetera. Um, so to answer your question, yes, we are. Were the victims all found in one part of the house? I'm not going to divulge that either. That's part of our investigation. Um, and at this time, I'm going to go ahead and close this off. Um, but if you'd like to, if you have any questions for the university, um, we'll open that up at this point.
0: Yeah, I, like I said, I didn't hear them say they slept through it. Maybe they did in another press conference. I I could be very wrong about that. If you guys have seen that press conference or know where that one is at, uh, share it to me at, at show at gmail.com and appreciate it. Why no mention of tire marks outside? Well, there's no mention at this point, right? We don't know that yet. At the time of the probable cause affidavit, uh, Brian Koberger, uh, when it, you know when it was created, it was before his arrest, so it was before the police had possession of his white Elantra to match up any tire marks. W- there could be that there now, you know. They could have done gone out there and and matched them up and and have found tire marks matching his in that location. So quite possible, you know. Just because we don't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, we don't know about it because when it would have happened would have happened after his arrest, you know, after the probable cause, after it was written. The whole knife sheath thing makes this case, like, at what point did he not know he have it? I think he would have known before leaving the house. Like I was saying, BTK left a gun at, at, at a house once, and he didn't realize it until later and had to go back and retrieve it. Uh, Byron Koberger went back at 9 a.m. Do we think BK's family will be at his trial? I don't know. Maybe. If they're not, I think that kind of tells you a little bit of, maybe perhaps... know their confidence in him law enforcement can't get it right where the sheath was found that's not true you know like i said in the probable cause affidavit they don't have to put things like perfectly there it's just enough for the arrest and so where it's saying that it was you know next to the body it really doesn't matter it was photographed it's been documented by forensics it's been pictured uh before the body was moved any of those things so all these little things that people see and, and are questioning you know like for instance the 27 mile thing on On his tracking, you know, on triangulation where they said, oh, yeah, 12 times he was by the house. They used triangulation. He could have been at the mall down the street. Yeah, very well. True. That's true. But they also got a warrant for his GPS locations. And if his phone was connected to the tower, I assume it was it was on. And if it was on, I assume those amps that are taking where his locations were were tracking where he was. And so they're going to have it down to a very accurate foot of where he was. And how long he was there, you know. So all these things that you know, these little question marks. Oh, he said this way or that way. The evidence is going to be there. We'll see it in court, one way or the other. Uh, will the public find out what happened if BK were to take a plea deal? Assuming uh, he's a perp. No, I, I, I don't think so. I, I haven't followed true crime long enough for a case to actually go to trial and be completed. You know, we started talking about true crime when when Richard Allen was arrested, and so since then, Ryan Koberger and Case occurred and and his arrest has happened, but neither of them have gone to trial and neither of them have pled. So I don't know what happens. I do know that a lot of folks were following the Chris Watts case. In the Chris Watts case, he took a plea. I don't know how much of the information of the evidence was released afterwards. I haven't looked into it, but that should give you an idea of how much information will be released. If Brian Koberger were to take a deal, uh, a the state doesn't have anyone else besides BK. According to PC, BK was driving around when murders took place, state Simon. Yeah, but like, when did they find out that he was driving around by himself? It, it, just because he was driving around by himself, that's part of what happened, my man. He was driving around. I mean, his own alibi puts him out there, you know, puts him out there in his car and by himself. He's not saying he was with anybody else. So if, if people think that he committed this crime, and that they think that he may have had a hand in it, but didn't commit it. You know, uh, but didn't commit it. Well, he said his own admission is he was by himself, alone, by himself. When did they find out about that? Because they would have had to have put Brian Koberger's DNA on the sheath. When would they have known that he was going to be driving around by himself and and put the DNA on the sheath at the same time? It, it's impossible, my man. I mean, they would have, the crime would have hap- ha- happened at four 420 in the morning is when he takes off. They have eight hours between... Uh, that time and the time 911 is called and officers are en route and there's you know body cams there you know like you guys have said Moscow has the body cams we haven't seen them that doesn't mean they're not there body cams are there police detectives Idaho State forensics arrive that DNA would have had to have been on there before then so in that eight hour time frame how the hell did they know Brian Koberger was out and with his phone off and if they knew that then why the hell did they wait seven weeks to to go arrest him? The stuff that they needed for his for the warrants uh, weren't anything crazy. I mean, they expanded the warrant for the uh, cell tower, right? And they they showed that his phone turned off at 2:47 or wasn't connected to the tower, and that it reconnected at 4:48. Right? You have that. In, you have that there. You have him driving a white launcher at the time. It was without a front license plate. He matches the heightened build, and he's taken studies and classes that would have taught him how to prevent. Uh, or elude investigation, which apparently there was a lot of evidence there that the person who committed this crime went to went through great lengths to elude this investigation. That alone will give you a warrant for his phone pings. And that's when they find out he's there twelve times. You know, they find out where he's at, and you know you can go pull trash DNA. And if it, if you can't pull his, uh, let's just say that you know cops were onto him earlier on, right? They they knew who he was. You know, all they had to do was was go pull pull up his trash. And if they found his DNA on there and they match it to the sheath, he would have been arrested within weeks. Why wait seven weeks to do this, right? And why go after a a PhD student? Like, how is he even on the radar? He'd only been there for a few weeks, maybe what, three months. And if a murder occurs in Moscow and they need a fall guy, do you really think they're going to go look at the applications for people that applied at the neighboring city's police department to to find a fall guy when they have a complete list of numerous of people that have been arrested uh, for heinous crimes, including that one guy, like I mentioned earlier, who was a convicted murderer who attempted to stab his wife and stab himself days after the murder that lived four blocks away. Those guys, you can't do that. You go for for Brian Koberger solely because he was by himself that night. Doesn't make any sense. I, I'm sorry. That one don't make sense. I I, I got to call the spade a spade. That one don't make sense. Not at all. Isn't it weird that they never compared the shoe size of EK and the latent footprint found at the scene? How do you know that they didn't? How do we know that the latent shoe print was big enough or was a was enough of a print to determine the size of the foot? What if it was only a partial footprint? They're only looking at the pattern, but wouldn't the shoe size be a better comparison? Uh, um, I think both of them would probably be a, a good comparison. You're probably going to look at both. And I think that they have and, and had Now, just because they hadn't put that in there in the probable cause affidavit doesn't mean that they didn't do it or that's not part of the case. You know, you don't need to have that aspect of it in the probable cause affidavit to get an arrest. The unidentified DNA, it depends on where it's at. And the other thing is, too, it's, it's resources, right? You know, when the Idaho case happened, crime didn't stop everywhere. You know, murderers didn't just stop killing people. Other heinous crimes just didn't put a halt on it just for this one case. You know, the FBI And Moscow Police Department, Idaho State Police Department uh, or Idaho State Police, they all needed they all have limited resources and they all have other cases and other things to cover. So when you have a sheath under the body of a victim and there is DNA inside of the button snap right inside the button under the body of a victim and it's single source DNA. So it's not mixed with anybody. So whoever put it in there, it'd be hard to put something in there without mixing your own DNA. I think that one would be more important than a DNA in a glove that was found a week after the murders happened. I was outside when there was tons of people out there. You know, you can't you can't do anything with it. right? Even if you were to trace down this person, the fact that it wasn't found until then probably says a lot. They probably have camera or pictures from the area. And let's just say they took pictures of that area. They found it before it was found after the murders happened and it wasn't there. And that means it was left sometime afterwards. So the investigation on that is over. And like I said, they were super specific about that one piece of evidence or DNA, but very vague about the location of the other two. And that's probably because that's as close as they can get to the victims as possible without lying. You know, if they were within arm's reach, they'd put, they were within arm's reach, just like Ann Taylor put that the other DNA was inside a glove outside of the house. I mean, they were very specific about that. So you have to ask yourself, why aren't they specific about the other one? It's probably because it's 10 feet away on a dresser or something. And with 150 people there the night before, can you really say that that DNA was there, you know, on the night of the murders? Not really. Can you say that that DNA was there before the night of the murders? The night before that? It's hard to tell, but the DNA on the sheath, it's a different question. It's a different answer. Brian's dad mentioned Brent in one of the two stops in Idaho. Uh, well, he didn't mention Brent. He mentioned a shooting um, that occurred at the at the campus in which Brian Koberger taught at and attended. So when the Idaho State Policeman asks where are you coming from? And he says, WSU. And he says, I don't know where that's at. And this incident had just occurred in the morning. Brian Koberger had gotten an alert from WSU about the shooting that occurred. And an officer says, I don't know where WSU is. You're not going to go to the most recent event that just happened that day where there was a you know, person's life taken by swat let's let's look through this and then i'll go through those real quick
4: with a c mabbitt m-a-b-b-u-t-t and i'm gonna ask you how, how long have you been doing this um i've been doing it for 16 years i and i just got reelected for another four
5: so what is it that or i guess when did you get the call on sunday
4: i got the call just a few minutes after noon that there were four homicides but i didn't go to the scene um, because of law enforcement doing their investigation first so i didn't actually go to the scene until about 5 or 5.30.
5: Can you walk us through, like, for our viewers, kind of the process is, like, between between when police show up and then you guys getting the bodies and doing their examinations?
4: Sure. Um, well, law enforcement goes through and um, looks for any evidence, um, takes videos and pictures of everything in there, and um, they'll start talking with people. So I don't really need to be there for that. I just, they can't move the bodies. I mean, the bodies have to stay um, as they were until the coroner gets there, so. That's those are really what that's what my job is to get the as bodies. The
5: corner, do you guys do um, the autopsies and all that?
4: No, we um, s- some do if they're an actual medical examiner, but we have forensic pathologists and we contract with Spokane to do that.
5: So in your experience, what is it that you saw? When you
4: saw that? Um, well, there was a lot of blood. It was. Yeah, it was, it was a very sad scene. A lot of blood don't sound
0: like it was cleaned up to me. A lot of blood. It was sad scene. One thing that I know and I've heard is that. Uh, the scenes were pretty contained to the bedrooms, which is why they probably thought early on the victims were asleep when they were attacked. Because from what I understand, there was no sign of anything else outside of the bedrooms and everything was contained in there. And in there, there was no evidence of a cleanup. All the evidence was there, from what I
4: understand. Um, murdered college students. Um, you're really all four deaths inside. Yes. And
5: um, can you give us an
4: yeah. Um, I believe that the press release was that they were from a um, sharp object. So, so yeah, I will know more after the autopsies tomorrow. No, they're four homicides. Uh-huh. It's my job to determine the manner and mechanism of death.
5: Um, and then I know with toxicology results there can often be some amount of delay. So, do you have any idea how long it could take the results to get into technical public?
4: Well, the toxicology reports, right, they usually take four to six weeks, cool. sometimes longer, um, but I, they might, um, I don't think they're gonna be relevant in the actual manner or cause of death.
5: And do we know how long between the time of death and when police found them?
4: No, I don't, I don't know for sure.
5: Do we, like, do we have like any, like, would it have been hours? Would it have been a day? Would it maybe close, like, is there any sort of, like, that um,
4: Not that Not that I'm aware of. Since I've been cornered, there have been um, at least two other multiple homicide scenes that I've been involved in.
5: Would you say this is probably the most
4: recent. No, oh, it's, it's hard to just single it out. It's the only one I've been to where there've been four people at one scene. There've been other, the other ones have had multiple scenes.
5: Um, and was anybody else
4: injured at the uh, not that I'm aware of, but I wouldn't necessarily be notified either. Were
5: well, the deceased all in
4: close proximity to each other or were they in different rooms? Um, I don't know that I can... Discuss
0: that. I didn't hear anything that was inaccurate in what she was saying. It seemed pretty much standard quo. And you know, a lot of put a lot of folks put in a lot of things in what Chief Fry had said early on and named the coroner here had stated. And I mean I'm not seeing I'm seeing very vague answers. And I think that what happened was some some people took those vague answers and, and manipulated them into something else. Yeah, it's, it's not that. But that's all I got for you guys today. I hope you guys liked this show. It's was a lot longer than I anticipated. But I thought it was all good stuff and good information to put out there. Uh, everybody has an entitlement to their own opinion. So please be nice in the comment section to each other. Um, even if you don't, you know, you think one way or another. Uh, please share this with anybody that you know that talks about the case on, you know, wants information on the case. We appreciate that. With that being said, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace.